from UNH Cooperative Extension. This is Overinformed on IPM. Even though I have a ton of experience in insect pest management in different parts of the country, I don't have any experience managing pest insects here in New Hampshire. I've been thinking of my first year here at UNH as my freshman year, and I've been talking to as many farmers and extension specialists as I can to get the lay of the land, to understand the major pest problems in fruits and vegetables, how severe of a problem this thing is or that thing, when do certain pest species become a problem, how people typically manage this thing or that thing. The most consistent thing I hear from vegetable growers, striped cucumber beetle. I always say it, but good news for entomologists is almost always bad news for growers. While I feel for folks who have to deal with with this pest species, I'm excited for the opportunity to work with it because, and this is my opinion, we're currently in a golden age of cucumber beetle research, but I'm getting ahead of myself. First, the basics. A summary of Dr. Eaton's fact sheet, which you can find on the UNH Extension website, Striped cucumber beetle is one of the most devastating pests of cucurbits east of the Rocky Mountains. So that's pest of pumpkins, cucumbers, squashes, melons, things like that. Both the adults and the larvae feed on crops. However, the adults feed above ground and the larvae feed below ground on the roots. Adults are also known to transmit the pathogen responsible for bacterial wilt. This is a common disease in cucurbits, especially cucumbers. If you have wilty plants that are well watered and you can't find any signs of squash vine borer, that's a hole with frass in the stem, you might have bacterial wilt. If you break open a stem and find stringy mucus inside, that's another sign that you're dealing with bacterial wilt. Oh, and you will love this. Although most insect vector diseases are transmitted via insect spit, this one is probably transmitted via frass. So in other words, these animals transmit the bacteria by pooping where they eat and that poop gets rubbed into the wound. Best management practices call for crop rotation and protecting newly planted young cucurbit crops from adults, which migrate in from elsewhere. Many growers rely on a prophylactic chemical approach by applying a systemic insecticide at planting. Many other growers rely on physical controls like using row cover or they will actually handpick the adults off when they migrate in. Evening is the best time to handpick if you're into that kind of thing. And remember that males that find your plants in the spring will produce an aggregation pheromone to call in both males and females of the species. So every male you remove during this mation period could equal as many as 40 potential cucumber beetles um, called in by that pheromone. Perimeter trap crops of a preferred host, like those big blue Hubbard squash, can intercept invading beetles as well. Overwintered adults that establish on cucurbit crops will mate, lay eggs, and the subsequent larvae below ground feed on roots. After two to six weeks of feeding, the next generation of adults emerges. If you weren't paying attention when the overwintered generation arrived, you'll definitely notice this emerging generation. Row cover is obviously not an option here as beetles are emerging from the soil, from the, from the roots of the plant. Depending on the species of crop and the health of the plants, there are established thresholds for treatment, usually somewhere around four beetles per plant on average. However, this threshold is much lower if you are worried about bacterial wilt transmission. And remember, pesticides must be applied only as directed on the label to be in compliance with the law. So if you are using pesticides, read those labels. 
I feel pretty confident that striped cucumber beetle research is a topic we will return to here, but I thought it'd be fun to share a conversation I had with a shiny new PhD student in Carmen Bluebaugh's lab down in South Carolina. She just finished her master's degree from the Kuhar lab, which is my home lab where I got my PhD down in Virginia. So we had lots to talk about and she was full of ideas for her PhD project. Hi, I'm Haley Bush. I'm a PhD student at Clemson University and I'm working for Dr. Carmen Bluebaugh on cucumber beetles. So I think it's really fun and interesting to work with Carmen now because I'm learning about all these different uh, ecological hypotheses and approaches to managing bugs and more tritrophic interactions and predator prey stuff and I just I'm pretty excited to get a whole different handle on this IPM thing. I have to say I'm a little jealous of Haley. She's at this really exciting stage of her project where she's considering going in lots of different directions. One big thing she's interested in is the interplay between different control strategies in IPM of cucumber beetle mainly how chemical control affects biological controls or the natural enemies of the beetles that could do the work of managing pest populations for us. She is going in a different way than you might expect. While digging into the literature, I was like, there's no natural enemies I can do those tests on. And around that time, I was like, well, why don't we look at underground predation? These larvae are definitely more vulnerable than adults. The adults are like little tiny tanks, like if you spray them, then they'll like evade the, the sprays. That's the same with predators. Like they're really fast and mobile. And some has been looked at for um, generalist predators like spiders and stuff for above ground adults, but nothing really works very well. So I wanted to go underground and evaluate predaceous larvae. So it's gonna be a tough objective. I don't know exactly what I'll find, but I'm guessing generalist uh, carabid larvae probably maybe um, cantharid larvae. Uh, I've heard that nematodes have been introduced into drip irrigation. Haley did mention that there are a few more above ground natural enemies up here in the Northeast that don't occur down in South Carolina. A tachinid parasitoid fly for one. This is a fly that lays its eggs on or near beetles and those larvae hatch out and bore in and parasitize the adult. But it sounds like she's onto something with underground infestations here as everyone and their brother is investigating entomopathic nematodes these days. I'm also very much looking forward to finding out what happens with her work on carabids and cantharids. These are ground beetles and soldier beetles. The adults are generalist predators above ground, and there's been lots of work from the no-till agriculture world indicating that healthy soils with lots of organic matter support lots of these beetle predators, which supports lots of biocontrol. Honestly, I didn't even think about what these predator larvae were doing below ground. It'll take some clever approaches to study this life stage. It's very difficult to study things that happen below ground, but Haley's work could make some pretty useful contributions to understanding how cultural management tactics like cover cropping and no-till systems could contribute to IPM. I asked her what she's learned about below ground biology in the system while she's currently deep into her literature review. A lot of it came out in the 80s and 90s, and actually somebody who works here at Clemson University, Jeff Zender, did a lot with PGPR, um, plant growth promoting rhizobacteria, and he found one strain 
can, if you add it to your soil, it can reduce the amount of cucurbitation that the plant produces. And cucurbitation is a feeding stimulant for cucumber beetles. And it's actually bitter, so not supposed to deter other herbivores, but since um, they've co-evolved with each other, cucumber beetles love cucurbitation. And this rhizobacteria reduced the amount of it, so you saw fewer cucumber beetles within it. And I thought that was really cool, but it was, I mean, like I said, it was in the 80s and 90s, so it's been a long time since it's been studied, and it kind of got dropped out of the spectrum of what we're looking for for control because neonicotinoids got involved in the system. Those were just seen to completely manage it perfectly. So there's no more uh, rhizobacteria. For, for the audio record, you rolled your eyes when you said manage it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Cucumber beetle behavior is something that holds a lot of potential for non-chemical management strategies, which we will cover in later episodes. I find it very interesting. But it is very true that the development of certain insecticidal chemistries play a role in the history of IPM research. Since the 90s, many commercial producers of cucurbit crops rely on systemic neonicotinoids applied at planting. And then they will follow up with regular foliar applications of pyrethroids when necessary throughout the life of the crop. Which brings us back to the theme of the interplay between chemical and biological controls. Another objective I have is looking at like the, the downsides to chemical control, specifically looking at secondary pest outbreaks of the melon aphid, which can actually flare up after repeated broad spectrum pyrethroid use. So I want to figure out which pyrethroids cause the most aphid outbreaks and if there's like a threshold to how many sprays will cause those outbreaks. And if it's natural enemies that are getting knocked down causing those outbreaks, I don't want to make any assumptions, but I have more of a feeling that it is due to hormoligosis, which is reproductive stimulation of um, exposure to a sublethal dose of insecticides. You're talking about they, they poop out more babies. They do, yeah. Due to, sub, to sublethal exposure. Uh, is that something that is is well studied in this particular aphid or? I haven't seen too many papers, if any papers, on melon aphids and cucurbits. And it's been studied in cotton a little bit. So it's a thing, it's, it's out there and I just kind of want to know to what extent and how to make it better. And is that affecting our predator community and parasitoids? Hormoligosis, a hard to pronounce word, but a good reason to think twice about overusing pyrethroids. It's counterintuitive, but essentially what doesn't kill the aphids does make the population stronger. They will respond to the stress of a small dose of neurotoxin by producing more offspring than they would normally. So the aphid reproduction rate speeds up during a period where natural enemies are gone or because there will be a lag in reproduction when natural enemies will be present in a much lower number than would be necessary to control the aphids. Secondary outbreaks like this obviously don't happen every time you use pyrethroids, but there is a risk with overuse. In my experience, I can't think of a situation in open culture when aphids have become a serious problem unless there was a broad spectrum insecticide somewhere in the mix. 
something to think about and a good reason for careful use of pesticides and a good reason for learning more about biological and cultural controls for key pest species. So stay tuned for more on how ground cover affects predators, both above and below ground, how predator assemblages affect pest biocontrol, and how chemical and biological control can be used together in an IPM approach to manage pests. That's it for now. Thanks so much to Haley Bush of Clemson University, and a special thanks to Brentwood's favorite son, Jason Lightbound, who wrote and performed our theme music. Informed on IPM is a production of University of New Hampshire Cooperative Extension, an equal opportunity educator and employer. All music is used by permission or by Creative Commons licensing. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the university, its trustees, or its volunteers. Inclusion or exclusion of commercial enterprises in this podcast does not equate endorsement. The University of New Hampshire, New Hampshire counties, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture cooperate to provide extension programming in the Granite State. Learn more at extension.unh.eu.